Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Father, we approach your throne and presence in the wonderful name of Jesus, and we give you thanks for your holy written word and the privilege of studying it together this night. We invite the Holy Ghost to be our teacher and guide to enlighten us, instruct us in all things that pertain to life and godliness, and also to quicken us according unto the word, changing us from glory unto glory. And Father, I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost and for thinking through my thoughts and speaking through my lips and effectively communicating your word of life unto the hearts of the people. And we'll be quick to give you tonight all the praise, honor, and glory for everything that's achieved among us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 First of all, let's give you a little bit of a background. When Peter wrote his epistle, he was writing to Christians that were suffering many things because of their belief in God. Persecution is something that we don't have to endure too much of in our land, at least not like they did in other lands and in other times. And so sometimes it's difficult for us to relate to a specific writing because we haven't experienced that kind of persecution or that kind of affliction. Maybe in a smaller way we have, but certainly not on a larger scale like many of these did from the very beginning when the gospel began to be preached in those early days. Well, Peter's message to the people was, even though you're going to suffer, and suffering is mentioned 16 times in this short epistle, certain things in this life, you're not to give up on the things of God. Amen. Take a firm stand and be true to your convictions and be true to your God. And see to it that you don't give in or give up no matter what comes your way. And you know, life does bring many things our way, doesn't it? But he told them, look, don't give up, don't faint, don't lose heart, hold on unto the end. And recently we've been talking about faith and the importance of faith. You know, we made statements such as these, without faith you can't possibly be saved. Because by grace are we saved through what? Through faith. So you can't be saved without faith. The Bible says we receive the Spirit by faith. Without faith, you can't get filled with the Holy Ghost. You can't receive the Spirit of God apart from faith. Without faith, we can't possibly please God because it's impossible to please God without what? Without faith. The Bible says so. Without faith, you can't fight. We're to fight the good fight of faith. Amen? And the list goes on and on. We're sanctified, set apart by faith. We're kept unto the end through faith. And Peter was writing about that. And so faith plays a very big and important part of our Christian lives. Amen? And you know, when people challenge the walk of faith today, it just seems to, to me to baffle my mind because I can't possibly begin to understand why they would challenge something that is so dear and precious. Paul himself said the just shall live by faith. And without faith, he can't live for God like he wants us to live for him. Isn't that true? For the just shall definitely live by faith. And as I said, the list goes on and on. Well, it doesn't stop here, beloved. Peter was writing to these people because he wanted them to know that even though they would suffer, if they would live the life of faith in the midst of the suffering... And stand strong in faith, then no matter what would come against them, wouldn't defeat them. They wouldn't be defeated by whatever came against them. And they would also see the true grace of God in manifestation or operation in their lives. And the grace of God is more than what, you know, some religious definitions of it might lead us to believe. The grace of God is the operational power of God in manifestation. That's what it really is. See, the grace of God is like electricity. Electricity performs many functions. I mean, there are many things that, you know, we can use because of electrical force and power. But it's still the same force and power. 
You can plug in a, a hair blower and it will work for you. You can plug in a television. You can plug in a VCR and all kinds of different things, a radio and etc. The list goes on and on. And all these things work because you're tapping into what? Electricity. Well, the grace of God is the same way. You use your faith to tap into the grace of God and you know what you get? You get power to be saved. Amen. Power to be saved. You use that same faith, tap into the grace of God. You know what you get? Filled with the Holy Ghost. You've released the same ability of God, the power of God in your life, and now you're filled with the Holy Ghost. The same force, the same power of the grace of God provides everything that we need for deliverance. You use your faith, you tap into the grace of God, and what do you receive? You receive deliverance in that area of your life. You receive specific needs met according to the grace of God, by the power of God, in other words. And so you need strength for today or for tomorrow. What you do is you release your faith, you tap into the grace of God, which is His operational power. And what do you receive? You receive the strength that you need to get the job done, whatever it may be. And so by faith we tap into the grace of God and unleash His ability and power on our behalf. And praise God, whatever it is that we need, we've got the answer, we've got the victory. Now I want to show you some scriptures here in 1 Peter pertaining to uh, suffering. And what I want to talk about tonight is faith to endure suffering and resist Satan. Faith to endure suffering and also to resist Satan. See, sometimes we neglect some of these important matters of life. Sometimes people think the faith message says that people are not going to suffer certain things in their lives. And that's not true. We are going to encounter difficulties and we are going to suffer certain things. Now, there are certain things that we're not supposed to suffer in this life, but there are certain things we are going to have to suffer in this life, and we've got to be made aware of that, so that by faith we can overcome those things, and by faith we can endure the suffering, and by faith we can resist Satan, and by faith we can overcome. Amen? Amen. Amen? That's what God wants us to do, to be overcomers in this life. And sometimes that means just to release your faith to endure the hardship or to, re to endure the suffering that has come your way. And still it's by faith. But first of all, let's just uh, lay a good foundation to show you that Peter is talking much about Christian suffering in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. In other words, you've been caught red-handed, you've done something wrong, and as a result of a fault that you, you know, demonstrated or displayed, you patiently suffer because of what you've done wrong. They say, well... Really, the Bible is saying there's no growth in that. I mean, you know you've done wrong. You know you were caught with your hand in the cookie jar. And you know that you did wrong. And as a result of knowing that you did wrong and you admit that you did wrong, and now you, you know, just very patiently suffer as a result of the mistake that you made. Well, that's fine and well, but there's no growth in that. There's no Christian growth in that. On the other hand... You didn't do wrong. You didn't take the cookie. But yet you got accused of taking the cookie. See? You did the right thing. You didn't do the wrong thing. But yet you've been falsely accused maybe. And now what are you going to do about it? Are we going to rebel? Are we going to do something you know, worse than taking the cookie? As a result of being accused? In other words, listen carefully. You didn't do wrong. You did the right thing. But still, you're suffering because you did the right thing. And if we suffer patiently through faith, then it will cause us to grow spiritually. Because you see, beloved, the Christian faith and the Christian walk is really a warfare between our emotions and our spirit. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And the flesh wants to rise up, be in control and rebel. And yet the spirit wants to be in control and allow the power of God to be unleashed. Now we can either be victimized by our feelings and emotions or we can allow the power of God to take hold and to be released in our lives and overcome. 
as a result of overcoming through faith as we suffer patiently, we then will experience Christian growth and development in our character. We'll be more Christ-like. And we'll share that here as we go along. And so suffering for doing right and being patient through our suffering, through faith, even though our suffering is undeserved, will promote spiritual growth and development. And so Peter was trying to, to develop a new mindset in these people, letting them know, look, you are going to suffer in this life. So don't think you're excluded from suffering. You are going to suffer certain things in this life. And the mindset that you have as you enter into that kind of suffering is going to determine the outcome and determine whether or not you are going to grow and develop spiritually. God is bigger than the thing we're experiencing at the time, and we've got to recognize that. And the way to unleash His grace or His miracle power and ability is to, through faith, endure the suffering with patience. Now look at verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. Notice carefully. Christ suffered for us, leaving an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was Gal found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And once again, we see something here. Jesus suffered not for himself. He suffered for us. There were certain things he would have to experience and undergo in his life so as to redeem us and represent us. And he willfully endured the shame of the cross and all that he had to suffer in this life by becoming a man. Why? So that you and I would experience our spiritual freedom. And if it were not for his suffering, then you and I would not be delivered. Isn't that true? Well, now he suffered for us and now we are called to do what? To suffer for him and the gospel's sake. There are certain things that we're going to have to suffer, such as persecution and affliction and certain other things, for the sake of the gospel. And that suffering is going to be within our physical members and sometimes within our emotions. But if we'll learn how to suffer those things patiently through faith, then we will promote our spiritual growth and development and we'll rise up to a place that we'll have the victory in areas of our lives... And we'll overcome the next time something like that comes our way. Jesus is our example. He suffered for us, and now we suffer for Him. And here's an example. When they spoke Gal, He refused to speak Gal. When they reviled, He refused to revile. When we are evil spoken of, you see, we are tempted to do the same thing. When we are insulted, we are tempted to offer insult to other people, to speak God or to rail on people. But you see, that temptation might be waging a war within our members, but yet we recognize this is something that we cannot afford to do as a Christian. Because sometimes you know that people are looking at you, they're watching you to find out exactly what you are going to do as a Christian. How are you going to respond in this situation? How are you going to react when you've been falsely accused? And if you blow up and you throw a fit and a tantrum and all that, and right there on the job, I mean, you just show all these emotions, they're going to look at you and say, you don't have anything more than I have. Why would I want to serve the God that you serve when, look it, you act just like a non-believer here. You're doing the same thing that they're doing. You know, you're responding the same way that they respond. I don't see any need for me to come to Christ. At least I can't see it in you. And what it does, it hurts our testimony. And once our testimony has been tarnished, it's hard for us then to regain the respect of the people. And so we've got to recognize that very often we are going to be set up at certain times by the enemy so as to demonstrate and display an ungodly character. And we've got to be on our guard. We've got to be very careful So as not to do that. Why? Because we don't want to bring reproach to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? Exactly. And so, in that regard, we're holding back and speaking no gal. Why? We're suffering for who? For the gospel's sake. Can you see that? 
We're doing it for the gospel's sake. So as to promote the gospel and its power and effect upon human lives. So let's remember. Now once again, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and uh, verse 14. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation or lifestyle in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And so once again, we see here, for righteousness' sake, sometimes we are going to have to hold our peace. Not say the wrong thing, but continue to say the right thing. You say, well, what suffering is there in that? When your flesh rises up and rebels in you, wanting to say the wrong thing, taking pleasure in saying the wrong thing, and yet you recognize that, I'm not supposed to say the wrong thing. That is an act of faith. For me then, to yield to my spirit, allow faith to tap into the grace of God, rather than yield to my flesh and allow my emotions and my natural desires that burn within me to have control. So he makes it very clear right here. He says, you're going to suffer sometimes for righteousness sake. But that's okay because Jesus did for us also. And we're going to do it for the gospel's sake, even if someone falsely accuses you. And the end result, and beloved, we should make note of this. We may not always see immediate results, but it's not the immediate result that we've got to be mindful of. It's the end result that we've got to be mindful of. Jesus endured the cross, suffering the shame of it all, looking beyond the cross for the joy that was set before Him. Isn't that true? And we have got to follow His lead and example and do the same thing that He did. You know, young people sometimes are upset because their parents set limits. And as a result... They become very frustrated and they want to act in rebellion out of their flesh and do the wrong thing. And in some cases think that they're getting away with doing the wrong thing because behind their parents' back they've, you know, just did the wrong thing. Thinking that nobody was looking. Well, I've got a scripture for you in the book of Hebrews. It's in there somewhere, chapter 4. And it talks about everything is open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Did you ever read that? In other words, I remember one time when I was working in Tulsa, I was working at a quick trip. Don't you love these places? Stop and go, get and go, buy and fly, quick trip. <laughs> there are all kinds of names. I'm working at a quick trip. And, you know, I'm standing behind the counter. This is when I was at school and I'm doing my thing back there. And these two individuals walk in. And I mean to tell you, they're cussing up a storm. You know what I mean by that expression, just cussing up a storm? I mean, absolutely just cussing up a storm, going in different directions, you know, looking for the things that they're looking for to buy. And all, I'm just standing there. I'm not doing anything at all, but standing there waiting for them to come so that I can wait on them, you know, check them out and all that. And so finally, this one fellow's over there cooking something in a microwave and he's just standing there watching. He keeps looking back at me, keeps looking back. You know, you have to watch and see if anybody's stealing anything. And I'm watching. He's looking back at me, looking back at me, looking back at me, looking back at me. Finally walks over. He said, are you a Christian? I said, yeah, why? He says, do you go to school at Ramah? I said, yes, I do. Why? He says, I'm sorry for saying those things in front of you because he was cussing up a storm and cussing up a storm. And, sin. and I said, you don't have to apologize to me. God can see you. Isn't that true? Oh, how we are so conscious of what we see with this, these eyes of ours. 
And how sometimes we're unconscious of the fact that everything is open and naked before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. He saw you. Why are you so concerned that I saw you? He saw you. That should be our concern. Amen. And so you see, we don't get away with anything. And if anything, what we do is we, oh listen carefully, we deteriorate spiritually. Every time we take a step out of the realm of God, we deteriorate somewhat spiritually. We take a step backward. Well, someone says, I want to get back into the good grace of God. Then you've got to take positive steps. By faith, take positive steps. And as you take those positive steps, then you get back into the good grace of God and you release the ability of God and you grow and develop spiritually. It's a decision that we have to all make on our own part. So we're to suffer for righteousness' sake and in some cases persecution, affliction, and slander and all these other things. And you know what? We really don't have the luxury of revenge. You realize that? That's a luxury that we can't afford. I want to be vengeful. I want to get even. You know, someone says, I don't get mad. I just get even. Well, that's not a luxury that we can afford, is it? Because it's an an attitude that's going to destroy us spiritually. And the enemy would want us to fall victim to that kind of an attitude, knowing that he would destroy us and devour us because of our inability to keep in check the members of our body. See, our body members want to rebel. Do you ever notice if somebody strikes you, you want to strike back? You can hardly keep that fist back, man. You want to, you know, knock them in the head because somebody lashed out at you. It's a built-in thing, self-defense. I want to defend myself. And when somebody lashes out at us with words, we want to defend ourselves. And when somebody, let's say, uh, offends us in any way, slanders us in any way, we want to get even. Because that is the flesh. The flesh wants to respond that way. And did you notice this? When someone tells you that you can't do something, that's when you want to do it all the more. The flesh wants to do it all the more. Especially when you're 16 years old and you know more than your parents know. I mean, most 16-year-olds think that they know more than their parents know. Isn't that true? I know when I was 16 years old, I realized my parents didn't know anything. But the older I got, I discovered, I discovered they knew more than I did. <laughs> a lot more than what I did. They lived a few more years than I did. And so they had a lot of wisdom. I want you to turn also to 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want to show you something here. It's close by. Let's look at verse 1. And we're just laying some groundwork as far as Christian suffering is concerned so that we can use our faith to endure it and then also to resist Satan when he tries to use our emotions to destroy us after we have suffered or while we are suffering because of an affliction or a persecution. In verse 1 it says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Hold on. Did you hear that? Are you armed? You should be armed. And dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. And the way to become that is to be armed with this mindset. What is this mindset? Christ suffered for us in the flesh. I am armed with the same mindset. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Sin will try to dominate us. Sin will rise up in our members and want to control us, wanting us to yield to its influence over our lives. And beloved, uh, you know as well as I do, there are certain things that you have got to stand against. And you may have to suffer in your fleshly members to overcome I don't know about you, but one of the most difficult members of the body to keep in check and under control is that little member called the tongue. You know why? It gets so much exercise every day. You ever notice that? Boy, that thing is always getting exercise, isn't it? Always going, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a little member. It gets much exercise and it wants to be in control. And to keep that thing in check is not always an easy thing to do. As a matter of fact, if you'll try to keep that thing in check, you will discover it will rebel. Remember what the psalmist said? Man, he, he, he was just 
so upset about something, he had this thing musing in him. It means he was thinking about it, meditating. It was just getting bigger and bigger. It was just like a, a pressure cooker. He was like a pressure cooker. He was about to explode. And finally, he says, I held it in as long as I could. I couldn't hold it any longer. And all of a sudden, I spewed these words out of my mouth. You ever do that? No, you've never done anything like that, have you? You've held back for so long and for so long and for so long. And then finally you said, hey, I'm letting it go. And boy, did you let it rip. I mean, you just let it spew out of you. All those words like feathers floating in the air that you cannot recover. And boy, did you regret doing that. Down the road somewhere, we always regret it, don't we? Boy, it felt good for the moment. Didn't it feel good for the moment? Come on, I have to pray for you. Don't sit there and look at me like that. Didn't feel good at the moment. You let it spew out of you. Man, everything in you loved every second and moment of it. But then all of a sudden, maybe half an hour later, the guilt set in. Why did I say that? Oh, how could I have said that? How could I have done that? Why did I do that? You see, that's, that's part of this Christian walk. Suffering in the flesh is not letting the flesh dominate when it wants to. And the key member, of course, is the tongue that wants to be in control. He that controls the tongue controls the whole body. And, you know, we've got to target that area without doubt. Because as we speak those things out, they come into reality. And so we've got to be careful. And it's going to take a lot of suffering, I'm telling you right now, in the flesh to see to it that you keep that tongue under control. That's all of us included. Now, I'm going to read that to you from the Amplified. So, since Christ suffered in the flesh, this is 1 Peter 4, 1. For us, for you, arm yourselves with the same thought and purpose. Patiently to suffer rather than fail to please God. Did you hear that? Rather suffer in the flesh rather than fail to please God. And it goes back to what I just said. You were suffering in the flesh. You were suffering in the flesh like that pressure cooker. And I mean, you were just, it was building up on the inside of you, but you were holding back. You were holding back. You were suffering in the flesh, and your flesh was rebelling against you because it does not like to suffer. Did you know the flesh doesn't like to suffer? Whenever you tell your flesh, I'm not going to feed you for a while, does it rebel? You never heard a stomach growl so loudly. Isn't that true? When you said, I'm not going to feed you for a while, I'm going to fast and pray for a while. I mean, it just begins to rise up in rebellion, and it was only five minutes after you said, you're going to do it. Why? The flesh has a mind of its own. It has thoughts of its own. It wants to be in control. It doesn't want you, the spirit man, to dictate to what it is going to do. And so you see, when we released and spewed out that poison, we failed to please God, didn't we? And here it says, it's better for us to suffer in the flesh than it is for us to displease God. And we all know that without faith, it's impossible to what? Please God. And so we didn't operate in faith and endure the suffering. And as a result, we did not please God, did we? But you see, if we operated in faith and endured the suffering, we would please God, wouldn't we? Absolutely. You know, I can give you a little bit of an example. You go back into the Old Testament in the book of Numbers and you find out when the Israelites were supposed to enter into Canaan's land. Well, when they found out that there were certain things they would have to suffer along the way. And did you notice their suffering was in the flesh? What are we going to eat? And so, when they didn't find anything to eat so readily, what did they begin to do? They began to use this little member called the what? The tongue to spew out murmuring and complaining against God's representatives. Didn't they? That wasn't faith, was it? They were speaking out of, uh, out of their physical emotions and feelings. They murmured, they complained. When there was no water to drink, they did the same thing. They didn't operate in faith. They began to spew out things they shouldn't be saying. They didn't suffer in the flesh and control their tongue. And as a result of not controlling the tongue and suffering in the flesh, they spewed out things they shouldn't have spoken. And you know what, beloved? We can speak out faith as well as doubt and unbelief or murmuring and complaining. Isn't that true? You know what? You could even say, well, you know what, God? I'm out here in the wilderness. I can't find anything to eat. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but there's not much to drink either. 
Everywhere we go, the waters are bitter. Everywhere we go, there's nothing to eat. Everything is poisonous, poisonous berries and all that. We can't find anything to eat. But you know what? You're God. You brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You didn't bring us out to let us die. You brought us out because you wanted us to serve you and to love you and to do your will. And you said you've got a land of promise. And in that land, I'm telling you, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. There is so much to be enjoyed and so much to be had. And so I'm, I'm going to believe you, Heavenly Father. I believe right now you're going to provide what I need to eat and provide what I need to drink. Couldn't they have said that? But how easy is it for us to spew out murmuring, complaining? I thought serving God would get me somewhere in this life. Did you? You see what I'm saying? I've had people come and tell me that. I say, you repent. He'll forgive you for that. (laughs) It's true. Serving God will get you somewhere. But you see, we've got to realize that we have enemies out there targeting our lives, wanting to get us out of the realm of blessing. And if through suffering the enemy can use our emotions, he'll keep us out of the realm of blessing. Can you see that? Like they were kept out of the promised land. And so let's finish that from the Amplified Bible. We should patiently suffer rather than fail to please God. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, has done with intentional sin, has stopped pleasing himself and the world and pleases God. See, I'm not going to please myself. It pleased myself to spew out the murmur. To point the finger and blame someone or somebody. See, it pleased them to do that in the flesh. And when they pleased the flesh, the flesh was satisfied. But who, may I ask, was displeased? God was displeased. And as a result of being displeased, they failed to enter into the promises of God. He even said so. And he said it was because of their murmuring and their complaining and their inability to endure hardness patiently through faith until they would be taken into the promised land. Okay. Now let's look at verse 2. He has ceased from sin. And then verse 2 says that he no longer should live the rest of his time. Now notice, he's talking about the ability for us to continue on in a specific pattern of life. So he would no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. This is a way a person learns how to live in the will of God, not according to the lusts of his flesh. In the Amplified it says, so that he can no longer spend the rest of his natural life living by his human appetites and desires, but he lives for what God wills. There's only one way to live for what God wills, beloved, and that is by faith. See, those human desires will rise up within us and they will try to control us. And once again, when they're satisfied, we'll only be happy for the moment. But then after the moment has passed, the guilt will set in. And we'll be an open prey to the enemy. And we don't want that. We want victory in our lives. Amen. Now, go on over to verse 12. And once again, I'm going to read this from the Amplified. 1 Peter 4.12. He said we've got to have a new mindset. The mind of Christ. The mind that says, I'm not going to please self. I'm going to please God. I'm not going to live by my fleshly appetites. I'm going to live by the will of God through faith. I'm going to let my faith dominate me rather than my feelings and emotions dominate me. Now look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be amazed and bewildered at the fiery ordeal which is taking place to test your quality as though something strange, unusual, and alien to you and your position were befalling you. In the King James, it just simply says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. It's not strange, in other words, for us to experience many trials and and, uh, tribulations along the way of life's path. It's not strange. And sometimes there are those who are of the mindset that I'm a Christian now, nothing wrong should ever happen. And that's not true. And the faith message does not teach that. That's not true. It teaches us what to do when those difficulties arise, when those fiery trials come. 
It teaches us how to respond in faith rather than allowing our feelings and emotions to rule us. Okay, verse 13. But insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, rejoice so that when His glory, full of radiance and splendor, is revealed, you may also rejoice with triumph exultantly. Rejoice that we are partaking in Christ's suffering. There were certain things that Christ had to suffer and we are being partakers of those sufferings when our faith is being tempted, tested and tried by the enemy or circumstances of life. Then, when we act in faith, the glory of God rests upon every single one of us. That is something that we've got to recognize because if we don't recognize it, then we fail to... To act in faith. And if we fail to act in faith, then the glory of God can't rest upon us. Because the flesh is controlling us. But when we have this new mindset that says, I'm not going to allow my flesh to rise up in control over my life. I'm going to choose to suffer in the flesh so that I don't live by these appetites and desires. Then the power of God and the glory of Christ will rest upon us. And the grace of God, which is His operational power, will enable us... To say those right things that we need to say to overcome. The strength of God, in other words, will be manifested in us, enabling us to overcome the difficulty, to endure the suffering, and also to resist what the enemy would have us do in that situation. That thing which is wrong. I want to read the rest of this. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. I'm sorry, verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. I like to read that 15 from the Amplified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or any sort of criminal, or as a mischief maker, a meddler in the affairs of others infringing on their rights. Verse 16, But if one is ill-treated and suffers as a Christian, which he is contemptuously called, let him not be ashamed, but give glory to God that he is deemed worthy to suffer in this name. Now listen carefully. The apostles once were beaten for the things they did. When they got people delivered and set free, they were actually beaten because of what they did. Now, you would think that being beaten would discourage someone from continuing on in doing those things that were pleasing to God. But were these men discouraged? Were they murmuring and complaining because of what had happened? No. They did well. They did right. They did righteous. They acted righteously as a result of their good deed. What happened to them? The Bible says they were beaten. And so what did they do? They went away rejoicing that they were able, actually able to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. My goodness, can you see a different mindset that, that we are to have in this life? Think about that. They were beaten and they rejoiced, saying, thank God we were actually worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. What a different mindset. Today, you know, many would be tempted to just to give up the whole thing and say, this isn't worth it at all. Now, in verse 17, for the time has arrived for a judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not respect or believe or obey the good news, the gospel of God? And if the righteous are barely saved, what will become of the godless and wicked? Therefore, those who are ill-treated, and if you've been ill-treated, listen carefully, and suffer in accordance with God's will must do right and commit their souls in charge as a deposit to the one who created them and will never fail them. And will never fail them. So if we've been ill-treated, if we've been dealt in injustice, if we've done the right thing and, and they have uh, come against us and persecuted us or did something evil against us, even though we know we did the right thing, 
Once again, it's an opportunity for us to rejoice and be glad that we're counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. And by faith, endure the temptation to rise up and rebel. Walk in love. Walk in faith. Believe God. Resist the devil. Endure the shame. Endure the suffering. And I'll tell you what, you'll grow spiritually and you will develop. So it's not a strange thing that we're going to suffer these abuses. We're going to be ill-treated because of of our, our convictions. But... Even though it may happen, we're to do it with the right mindset, the mindset of faith that overcomes. Now look at chapter 5. In chapter 5, I want you to see something in this context now. We've often quoted this scripture, but sometimes we don't put the whole the, the thing in, in its entire setting and proper context, you know, in balance with the whole book and the theme of the whole book. In chapter 5 and verse 8, I'm reading from the Amplified. Once again, for those of you that may not have it, listen carefully. Be well balanced... Be temperate and sober-minded. In other words, maintain this kind of mindset. Keep this in the forefront of your mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a roaring, in fierce hunger, lion. He's like a lion roaring in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Now, wait a minute. Who is he seeking to seize upon and devour? The person who is suffering, the person who is experiencing hardship, the person who's being ill-treated and does not know how to respond in faith. He's being persecuted, he's being afflicted, and does not know how to respond in faith. And so this person's flesh is rebelling, it wants to lash out, he wants or she wants to spew out evil words and slander for slander and railing for railing and and insult for insult, etc., etc. And now, see, he is roaming like a hungry, roaring lion waiting to seize that person who is not operating in faith, who doesn't know how to endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. And as a result of that, Boom! He attacks that person. Can you see that? Why? To devour that person, to destroy that person's life. And so it says, be sober. Be aware of this. Recognize there's a method to his madness. In other words, understand that he's out there looking to get you at an opportune time. You know, when the devil tried to get Jesus and Jesus defeated him, the Bible says... He departed from him and waited for a more opportune time, doesn't it? Looking for another opportunity and a more opportune time to get a hold of him. Maybe at a time when he is maybe suffering something. See? So keep mindful of that. Look at verse 10. and or Verse 9, rather. Withstand him or resist him. Be firm in faith against his onset. Now notice once again what we cannot do without faith. Resist him with your faith. Be firm, take a stand, and be strong in your faith. And that's the only way we can resist him. Our emotions are not strong enough to resist the devil. Our feelings are not strong enough to resist the devil. Can you see that? Our flesh is not strong enough to resist the devil. You know, we'll be pressured into doing the wrong thing unless we are aware of the fact that we can operate in faith and overcome this thing. We can use our faith to endure the suffering and use our faith to resist the temptation of the devil and the forces that he brings against us to try to get us to do the wrong thing. Now listen, it says, rooted, established, strong, immovable, and determined, determined, knowing that the same identical sufferings are appointed to your brotherhood, the whole body of Christians throughout the world. Every Christian is going to suffer persecution, affliction, hardships, for righteousness sake, etc., etc. Why? Because we suffer for Him because He suffered for us and we want to promote the Gospel. And in doing so, it means we're going to act apart from the ways of the world and the character of the world. And so we'll have to suffer in our flesh. Would to God He would have done something with our flesh when we got saved? If there was some kind of flesh zapper. You know what I mean? Zap that old flesh. When it wants to rise up in rebellion, just a spiritual zapper. Get back under control, you 
Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't you like to have a tongue zapper? <laughs> Someone says, put a watch over my lips. No, get a tongue zapper. We can market that and be rich. <laughs> Anyhow, we've got to recognize the need that we all have to operate in faith in all these areas. See, faith is the lifestyle of the believer. And we've got to use faith in all areas. Okay? So, every single one of us will, will encounter the same identical. Don't you love it when someone says, but you don't understand my problem. Yeah, but I'm, I'm reading right here from 1 Peter 5, 9. And the Amplified Bible says, knowing that the same identical sufferings are appointed to your brotherhood. It's because you're a Christian, you're going to suffer certain things. I'm going to suffer certain things. All of us are going to suffer identical things for being a Christian. Can you see that? It's, it's faith that enables us to overcome, endure and resist. And after you have suffered a while, now, now focus in on, on verse 10 here. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who imparts all blessing and favor, who has called you to His own eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will Himself complete and make you what you ought to be, establish and ground you securely, and strengthen and settle you. He's going to settle this tongue down, thank God. He's going to settle us down. He's going to settle us. He's going to come and complete us or mature us to get us to a place of maturity. But you see, He needs our cooperation. We have got to withstand through faith and then allow the Spirit of glory to rest upon us Resist the temptation of Satan, and then the change takes place on the inside of us through faith. And this, look at the next two verses. To him be dominion, power, authority, rule, forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Look at verse 12. By Silvanus, a true, loyal, consistent, incorruptible brother, as I consider him, I have written briefly to you to counsel and urge and stimulate you and to declare to you that this is the true account of the grace, the undeserved favor of God. Be steadfast and persevere in it. This is an account of the true grace of God, which is his miracle ability, his miracle power unleashed on our behalf to complete us, to quicken us, to change us, to mature us in Christ. See, and as we do this, beloved, then we grow and we develop as a Christian and we take on Christian character. Now, how do we do this? How do we resist the enemy and the natural tendencies that rise up in our members when these emotions come upon us? I'm so glad you asked. I've been waiting for you to ask that question. Go on back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Now, I want you to notice that Peter is writing about faith. Some people think it's just suffering alone, but no, he's talking primarily about faith to endure suffering and resist the temptation of the devil and our fleshly members. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Who are kept by the power of God through what? Through faith. How are we kept? By the power of God through what? Whose faith? Our faith. Unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Why are we in heaviness? Why were they in heaviness? Because of the manifold temptations. You see, beloved... They didn't have a complete Bible like we have back in those days. What an advantage we have over those individuals. We've got the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation, and they had an epistle written to them by Peter. And up until this point of the writing, they didn't have it. And then he goes and writes the letter, sends it to them, they're already in their situations. They're already encountering their difficulties. And now they have some instructional teaching. And so Peter tells them, look, this is so important for you to know. And this is verse 6 in the Amplified. You should be exceedingly glad on this account, though now for a little while you may be distressed by trials and suffer temptations. See, it's not going to be a bed of roses. It's not going to be a bed of ease. We are all going to encounter temptations, but they're designed, we know, to destroy us. But 
if we operate in faith, there'll be a different kind of effect that will take place upon our lives. And it's found in verse 7 and right on through. Look at verse 7. So that the genuineness of your faith may be tested. Your faith, which is infinitely, infinitely more precious than the perishable gold, which is tested and purified by fire. This proving of your faith is intended to redound to your praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, is revealed. How many of you know that when Jesus comes back, He's looking for faith on the earth? Do you know that? Will the Son of Man find faith when He comes again? He's looking for faith. He's looking for people of faith. He's looking for those who will pass through the tests and the fiery trials and to come out with purified faith that is more precious than silver or fine gold, fine gold that's tried by fire. Peter is saying, look, put on this mindset. You're going to suffer these things, but know that through faith you can endure the suffering, you can resist the temptations of Satan, and you can rise up to a place where your faith will redound to the glory of God. That's what he's saying to them. I know about you, but that excites me. What about you? Thrills my heart. Hallelujah. Well, as I pondered over this, I thought, now this is Peter writing this. Do you know what Jesus told Peter? Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. You remember that? In Luke's gospel, he desires to sift you like wheat. To determine what is of faith and what is not of faith in your life. See, these temptations and trials will come to get a hold of us. Why? To shake us. Why? To determine what is of faith and what is not of faith. I'm telling you. We have a shrewd enemy. It's like putting wheat and sifting it. Putting it through a sifter and sifting it to divide... You know, the course from the good, that's exactly what he tries to do. He'll come along because if you're operating in faith, he does not like it. Our faith is the issue here. I want you to see that. Your faith is being targeted and your faith is the issue here. He'll use your suffering to get to your faith and to stop you from using your faith so that you, how? By complaining, by murmuring. But God, you said this. And that's why when you hear somebody saying, Man, I thought being a Christian was going to be a whole lot different. I thought being a Christian, I lived my life through fly, on flowery beds of ease. I'd go through life without a care in the world. I'd have it made in the shade, drinking lemonade. You know, that's, that's what they thought. That's the idea of Christianity that they had. And so they're complaining. But you know, I've served God for almost three and a half weeks now. I don't have a Lincoln Continental. I don't have a million dollar home. And I don't have all kinds of maids and, and service, uh, servant quarters and all that. Oh my goodness. Three and a half weeks. Give it at least four. <laughs> right? See, murmuring and complaining and murmuring and complaining. And you know, that's the way to get nothing from God. We're supposed to say, I'm glad I'm a believer. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been brought out of the miry clay. And if I see nothing but Jesus in the rapture, I've had enough glory to God. But there's a whole lot more than that to have in God. And I'm reaching for the stars. I'm going to use my faith. And if I find myself not receiving God's best in this life, I'm going to make some adjustments in myself, in my life. And I'm going to start from scratch if need be and build myself a household of faith that will redound to the glory of God. Can you say amen? That's what God wants us to do. Praise God. So it's the faith of the individual that's being tested and tried. And you see, by faith, we can keep under and keep in check these feelings and emotions that we have. And by faith, we can stand against the devil. Now, let me give you an example. Someone has spoken evil of you. No one's ever done that, have they? And you know it. Then, you learn something about that individual and you are tempted to expose him and defame that person's character. Why not? They defamed you or attempted to. They just blabbed it to everybody that they knew about. Whether it was accurate or not, they had no right to do it. True. 
The Bible says love will cover the multitude of sins, does it not? Does it not? Does love go about running to and fro to expose everybody's faults and failures and defame their character? Is that what love does? No, it doesn't do that. No, love covers the multitude of sins. Love in the spirit of meekness will go and restore someone before they ever say a word and won't say a word to anybody in the spirit of meekness considering himself lest he or she also fall. Isn't that true? Isn't that what the Bible says? Exactly. Well, they didn't follow that procedure and they tried to defame your character and said these things about you and now you've got the goods on them. You have got the goods on them. And there is, I mean, a burning in your flesh among your members that wants to expose them, that wants to defame their character. Everything in you is shouting, go blab it about the countryside and let everybody else know. And I'll tell you what, your flesh would get so much satisfaction in doing something like that. My goodness, you think you died and gone to heaven. It wouldn't be the case, but you'd think that. See, the flesh wants to, 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 to just to rejoice in all that ugliness. Isn't that true? The flesh wants to do something like that. And so now there is a, a, a warfare among your members. Can you see that? Man, you are in a heated battle. And of course, someone else comes along. What's his name? Slewfoot. Satan, the devil. Call him what you like. The maniac. Comes along. He knows about your members. The fiery trowel is burning inside your flesh. Your emotions are running rampant. You just want to go ahead and expose and defame and say whatever, spew out anything. So what do you do? Hmm. 1 Peter 3.10 comes to mind. Let's look at that verse. 1 Peter 3.10. Peter, you're just giving us a lot of insight tonight. Look at 1 Peter 3.10. How do I do this by faith? You're not going to settle your bodily members down without the Word of God, beloved. I'll tell you something right now. Don't try to do this thing without faith. Don't try to do it without the Word of God. Don't just say, well, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to fight it with my, myself, with my own intellect. Don't try to do it that way. You're not going to win. See? Now, get a hold of what the Word of God says. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And what is faith? It's what you believe in your heart and say with your mouth. Faith is saying with your mouth what you believe in your heart. Okay? Now listen carefully. You read this verse in 1 Peter 3.10. This is the Amplified. For let him who wants to enjoy life. You believe in enjoying life? Say amen. amen. Say a hearty amen. amen. I mean, you like life? Yeah. Do you like living? Yeah. You want to enjoy life and enjoy living? Amen. Okay. How about see good days? You want to see good days? Amen. You believe in seeing good days. Say, I want to see good days. I want to enjoy good life. Okay, listen to what it says. And a little uh, parenthesis here, it says, good whether apparent or not. In other words, if you see it right now or not, it doesn't really matter. But if you want it, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from gal, treachery, or deceit. So that comes to mind. You just defused. You just defused the flesh. Can you see that? This is warring up within you. You want to spew out all this, you know, stuff to defame this person and, and to point out his flaws, his shortcomings, his imperfections or whatever, because he did it to you. Vengeance is mine, saith me. <laughs> did you ever read that verse? It's in your own book. Vengeance is mine, saith me. <laughs> You don't want that. You don't want to do that. See, but, you, but you, your flesh is wanting to, is wanting to rise up. And so what you do is you open up your Bible, you run to it. My goodness, you run to it. You find First Peter 3 and 10 in the Amplified Bible and you say, I want to see good life. I want to see good days. I'm going to refrain my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking gal. I'm not going to do it. I believe in my heart and I say with my mouth, I see good days and I have long life. Glory to God. You just diffuse the flesh. If I say that, I spew out death upon myself. I spew out bad days upon myself. Can you see that? Faith is what you believe in your heart and say with your mouth. You say with your heart, with your mouth, what you believe in your heart. And when you start saying things that are evil about people, what you sow is what you reap. 
So rather than do it, I keep my flesh in check. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.